Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and per usual, I am your host. Uh, also, per usual, I hate that this is... Here's the thing about this. I have to say it every week because it's true, but when you repeat something, even if you mean it often enough, it starts to sound a little rote. And and I really don't want to give the impression that my gratitude for your listenership is canned or taken for granted. I know how many MMA and other combat sports related stuff there is out there. There's a lot of it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to demean myself here and I say some of it's better than what I produce. It is. But not all of it. Um, there's a <laughs> surprise. I'm not going to name names, okay? But given the volume of stuff out there, the fact that I think I'm better, that, not that I'm better, that this show is a little bit better than some of the other stuff out there, I hope that doesn't come across as too arrogant. And your listenership is, I'm eternally grateful for it. You could be a lot of places. You could be listening to a lot of things. Some You could be listening to stuff not even related to combat sports. And yet you choose to listen to me ramble a bit, try to entertain myself, hopefully entertain you, hopefully educate you a little bit, to the extent that I can. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. Time is our only truly finite resource, and you choose to spend some of it with me, so... Thank you. Sincerely. From the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Uh, to that same end, please interact with the product a little bit if you don't mind. The Like, comment, subscribe. Depending on your podcast platform of choice. Ch- choice. I can talk. Star rating, written review, again, whatever's applicable. If you've done that, or if you haven't and you want to do something else, uh, sharing the show around is... Very, very helpful. Let people on a social media platform of your choice know. Let people in your real life know. Whatever. Point. Uh, if you think they'd enjoy the show or be... You know, even if you think I just annoy them and you're like five or six minutes into this podcast and you go, you know what, I don't, I hate this guy. Wait a minute, whoever pointed me... Whoever sent me this direction was trying to annoy me. Yeah, maybe. Just please don't take it out on them. Um, hopefully, you were sent here because you like what I do, and, you know, we'll find out. But let people know, that helps a lot as well, so thank you for anything you can do. I do what I can on this end, but, you know, I am just a guy with a podcast, like so many others. All right, on the agenda this evening, there's some different stuff to talk about, but I don't think it'll take that long. Um, I know last week was lengthy. I don't think this week will be. Uh, Last week was over two hours. Um, appreciate you guys listening to that one, by the way. This week, uh, we should be getting through a little bit faster. You know, you can see the total runtime of this one. I can't yet. I'm still recording it, so. But not a lot that was nearly as interesting as what happened, you know, at the last UFC, at UFC 291, so. But we'll see. We'll do a review of UFC on ESPN 50. Fair warning, you can see this in the timestamps in the chapters below. I am going to talk just a little bit about Jake Paul and Nate Diaz, so if you're not interested, I can't fault you for skipping ahead. I'm just 
I'm going to talk about it. Not not a lot, just a little bit. And I hope I've earned your, at least a degree of your indulgence when it comes to some of the stuff I choose to talk about here. Because I choose not to talk about a lot of stuff that I think is pointless. I'm not saying Diaz versus Paul was ugh, enlightening or anything like that. But one... Let's not kid ourselves. Those two draw traffic, and I do... I am trying to feed the algorithm a little bit here. But if I had nothing to say about it, I just wouldn't talk about it beyond acknowledging that it happened, even. And I, I do have a little bit more to say about it than that, so hopefully you'll go with that. If not, skip over it. I can't stop you. We'll preview UFC on... I think that's ESPN 51. Yeah, we'll preview UFC on ESPN 51, which is this Saturday's card, and... uh I'm not saying it's terrible. I think that that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but man, this is not <laughs> this is not it. We'll give you a full preview of that one. And then some news of the week. We had fights get announced. We had fights fall through. We'll do the thing. And yeah, that's the per usual. That's how we'll be going about it. All right. Uh, that's all the intro, so let's jump into this, shall we? UFC on ESPN 50. Um, let's talk about this card for just a minute. Uh, we had some fights change and fall out and whatnot. Uh, what did we lose? I think what did I what did I talk about? Because um, I talked a little bit about the turnover from this card last week in the preview. Um, I mean, the big thing we lost was, and I talked about this before. We lost um, Umar Nurmagomedov. You're supposed to fight Sandhagen. Um, Saeed Nurmagomedov was supposed to fight uh, Kyler Phillips. He pulled out as well. Don't know why. We know that Umar had the shoulder injury. He uh, let everybody know that, and fair enough. Um, Hani Barcelo stepped in. I think he was the... I did preview this one with him. What was the one... Okay, yeah, I think this one a little bit. Um, yeah, I gotta mention, I didn't go into it in specifics, but Sean Woodson, bless him, had three opponents fall out of his fight. He He fought on the card... And part of the reason I think no one's going to hold missing weight too hard against Dennis Bazooka. Uh, and yes, it uh, Bazooka, more of a ja than an uh. uh no one's going to hold that too much against him. He, one, he only missed by half a pound. Two, he took that on very short notice. Um, and But yeah, Woodson was originally supposed to fight Steve Garcia. That turned into Jesse Butler. That turned into Marion Santos. That turned into Bazooka after injury, injury, and visa issues, respectively. So, yeah. Um. All right. So, man, this this was a weird card. So, before I get into the specifics of the fight, let me just. The last couple of days, like, leading up to this event, they started, you started to get some of the rumblings from the... I mean, lower rumblings, but there were a lot of people who look at this stuff very closely going, you know, this is actually a pretty good card. And I remember going... Only by, like, 
certain standards of comparison, which is weird because, like, good always has to be measured against some kind of standard, but... I didn't hate this card on paper. Like, do I think it's better on paper than, like, next week's? Yeah, actually, it is. But I think there were a lot of people trying to, like, build their own excitement around this one. Because... I... Just being honest here, man, I wasn't really feeling it. And... I think, ultimately... This is one of those events where if you lowered your expectations further, you might have had a better time than I did. Put it like that. Now, some of that is the main event. In your main event, catch weight of 140 pounds because Rob Font took the fight on short notice, but Corey Sandhagen defeats Rob Font via unanimous decision, 50-45 across the boards, totally blanks him. And... I... Should I just say the fight sucked? I think that's a little disingenuous. This was not a good fight. In case you're, if you're expecting some hipster take about how this was secretly, you know, a, a really great fight that everyone's sleeping on. No, no, it's, it's not that. It wasn't a very good fight. But to say that it, to say that it sucked, I think implies. What do, what do I usually mean when I say a fight sucked? Usually a big component of that for me is neither at least one half of the equation is not trying to fight, if not both of them. Or, you know, they just gas out horribly and technique goes out the window and nothing happens for long stretches of time and then what they do tries very, very sloppy. Like, I, I don't like that. You might. I don't. No, no shame if you do, mind you. But I don't... That's... A point of contention on occasion is I look at stuff like that and go, yeesh. I know other people who go, shut up and have fun. And But I don't think that either Corey Sandhagen or Rob Font were trying to avoid a fight. I think it would be very unfair to claim that about them. What happened was Corey Sandhagen was the better wrestler. He was able to take Font down without too much difficulty. He hit 80, I think 80% of his takedowns. He had at least one around. And he had better top control. So he was able to keep Font down for long periods of time. However, caveat, Font's bottom game prevented him from really passing. I don't think, I don't think Sandhagen ever meaningfully got beyond half guard like there were a couple of scramble situations where he gets like okay briefly have side control maybe briefly fight out of the north south but he never got full mount he never got back mount like he never got a real dominant side control and some of that's because again font knows what he's doing down there and the unfortunate reality of kind of how that played out is sandhagen holding top position font not being able to get up Sandhagen doing enough to justify the referee allowing the position to continue and rinse and repeat. So, what are my big takeaways from this? Look, the, the crowd was pissed. So the crowd showered this thing with boos the longer it went on. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of booing fights. Like even the even the fights that I tend to say suck. Like I'd rather you were just quiet. 
than booing, personally. So I'm not a, unless someone is. There's an exception there, like if someone is actively avoiding the fight, and you may not have found this entertaining. I don't blame you, but I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that either guy ran away or tried to avoid the fight. They did not fight in a way that the fans wanted to see, and that's fair. Like, that's a fair reaction in terms of like how you feel, but you know, sharing it with booze was just not great. Apparently Dana White walked out in the fourth round, um, which is apropos, seeing as Dana White is utterly useless these days. Can I just, you know what, for half a second, can we just talk for a mo- minute or two about Dana White and how monumentally checked out he is? He does the stuff for social media. You know, he has his, um, you know, he calls it F it Fridays, right? Like, where he just comes up with nasty food combinations. Uh, he does the, what is it, if you don't know now, you know, where he picks a, he tries to find some fights on the undercard that you might not think... He might be overlooking, going, no, no, this one, this is one to watch, this is one to watch, and he's got a decent track record with those picks, for the, and just, by the by, decent record. But let's consider a couple of things about the state of the UFC right now. One, there is no light heavyweight champion. Two, there is no women's bantamweight champion. Let's just let that sit for a minute. What are we doing about this? What's the plan? Sure would be nice if there was a UFC official, like, say, the president of the UFC, who could talk to either put out releases or talk to media and express to everyone what the plan is going forward, what they're trying to do, what they want to accomplish. And that's just not happening, because Dana would rather squeeze small margins of profit out of brain-damaged, desperate individuals who are doing power slap. Okay, by the by, on power slap, another minor aside, an aside to my aside, if you will, that's probably not going away as unbearably bad as it is. There have been some people, there have been some pushback about the regulatory side of this thing by medical officials and whatnot, and thankfully. Because how you justify ethically full contact combat sports, boxing, kickboxing, whatever you want to do, any of these sports that carry the penalty or the possibility of life-altering injury or death, you have to be very careful on the moral and ethical side of those kinds of events. And frankly, a giant component of why we accept them and what makes them acceptable is defense. If we're just out here having two guys stand across from each other and trade brain trauma for a grand, I find that unconscionable. Sorry. I'm sorry. We're, we're whatever my line of whatever my line is for this. I don't know exactly where it is. I know that's on the other side of it. 
but why I think it's not going away. Look, we've talked before about the UFC's about the pay structure and as it relates to the UFC and how profitable they are, how absurdly profitable. Power slap is scaled down for that, but it uses the same premise. You pay these guys as little as possible, and they are not, and they are paid very little. And if anyone anywhere is willing to pay you to air it, you'll make money. So look, are they? Is Power Slap going to make a lot of money for Dana White and company? No, no, it's not. It's not a big, it's not a big thing. It will never be. It will never be a big thing. If it was going to be a big thing, it would have been a big thing by now. It's not going to be. That might seem like a weird thing to say, but... The novel... Like, there's... The, the initial novelty of MMA transformed into wanting to see what this would turn into. Because initially it was a gimmick. It was the gimmick of we'll take different guys from different disciplines and what discipline is the best. Right, that was that was the selling point. That changed to we created something. Let's see where it goes. You watch one power slap event and that's it. That's all it is. There is no changing. There is no evolution. There is no strategy. There are no tactics. There is nothing but two adults. I think they only really do this with men. But there might be a female league for it. I don't know exactly, nor do I care. Two people trading CTE for $1,000. This is all we're doing. That's all we're doing. But, again, if anyone will pay for it because your overhead cost is... If they keep your overhead low enough, you pay the slappers crap... You're piggybacking off of a giant portion of the infrastructure that you already have for the UFC. Like, if you had to start this thing from nothing, it might be harder. And we live in a content-driven entertainment complex. Right? There's a million cable channels. There's a, you know, how many streaming services are there now? I, I don't even know. A bunch. And there's a bunch of smaller ones that you might never even have heard of. And as long as someone is willing to pay a pay something for this, there's a pretty good chance that they'll just make some money for a bit. And, you know, Dana White has some kind of relationship with people who will sponsor this crap. And so it. It'll, I think it will go away. Let me be very clear. I think it will. But I think it's going to take a little bit of time. And that's just because there's a bunch of places that are starved for anything. Bring them anything, they'll pay you something, and they'll start airing it. That's kind of how this works. So Dana would rather do that than try to sort out his light heavyweight division or his women's bantamweight division, or do anything related to his job that he has paid very, 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 very well for. He's just checked out. He's completely checked out of this. And it's very obvious. So, 
that's where we are. So Dana walked out. Uh, after the fight, Sandhagen revealed he came in with uh, either a tricep or an elbow injury. I think it was to... I don't know which arm. I think he kind of indicated his right arm um, in the post-fight, immediate post-fight um, interview, but it could be either one. The point being, he came in with some kind of injury. My hunch is it was bad enough, and he kind of intimated it was bad enough that he, if he, if he had disclosed it and pulled out, it would have been perfectly understandable. Instead, he stayed on the card to try and, you know, one, get paid, and two, give the keep the fans happy, kind of keep the show intact. Now, look, this show would have... Here's the thing about this. I know there's some people out there, maybe if you're listening, newer to the show, or if you're just angry at, at the at how this fight played out, you, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'd rather there have been no fight than 25 minutes of that fight. I'm not here to tell you you're wrong. I am here to tell you the following. This was on ESPN. You almost couldn't air it on ESPN with a main event of Tatiana Suarez and Jessica Andrade. This fight desperately needed a relevant... This card desperately needed a relevant main event. Sandhagen and Font was. I'm not saying they would have canceled the whole card. The UFC's not really in a position where they do that anymore. They just run with whatever crap they have because they don't actually care how well it sells. But, yeah, I so I feel bad for the guy getting killed. Look, I'm once again, I am not going to sit up here and say this was great, a great fight. It wasn't. I'm not going to kill these guys for this one either, though. Um... Font came in on short notice. And look, Sandhagen was preparing for a... There's not a lot in common, stylistically, between Umar Nurmagomedov and Rob Font. Not much there. So he came in with, I imagine, a more wrestling-heavy plan to begin with because Umar was going to wrestle him a little bit more. And he just translated it to how he could safely, securely, and clearly beat Rob Font. And I imagine this kind of caught Font by surprise, too. You know, Font's more of a striker to begin with. But it's not like Font's ground game off of his back was terrible. It wasn't. He stopped Sandhagen from passing. He stopped Sandhagen from finding meaningful offense. And that's not easy to do. Sandhagen likes to play a higher-speed higher-paced game on that in that respect, and Font slowed that down, stayed safe. I mean, he lost, but he didn't get finished, which was on the table at a couple of different points. Uh, like, I'm not going to watch this fight again, It's, but it's, I don't think I'm going to put it on my list of worst of for the year either. I just... I think there was too much effort put forth by both guys for me to consider this one of the worst. It wasn't great. I'm not going to sit here and like tell you if you thought this fight sucked, you're wrong. Just by the by my standards and the way I view and rate these things, this was not this wasn't entertaining, but I think it got a little bit outsized hate. It's kind of the long and short of that. Unfortunately for Sandhagen, He's going to have a tough time trying to get a title shot off of this. The UFC is vindictive about this kind of crap. 
my hunch is they'll just try to rebook um, him and Umar. Somewhat pursuant to how Umar um, is able to re uh, come back around because your shoulder injuries can be gnarly, so... Uh, yeah, there's that. But the I doubt he gets the next title shot is kind of the long and the short, short of that. Aljamain Sterling was not especially kind in things he said about it. And look, there is something to be said for one of the things Sterling brings up. You know, I don't want to hear about how Marab and I don't do anything with takedowns anymore. Well, look, man. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Especially Marab. Again, sometimes. It's just... I, I don't know. It's weird that he would pretend that this somehow makes that a, an untrue criticism of him at times. It's true of Sandhagen here that he was not able to do a tremendous amount of damage with his takedowns for a variety of reasons. That doesn't mean it hasn't been true of you in the past, too, but... Look, man, Sterling get... as a, I'm not the biggest fan of Aljamain Sterling, but there's a lot of people giving him way too much flack as a general rule, so... If he's, like, kind of half-lashing out, half-wanting vindication, I, I understand the mentality. I, I, I do kind of get where he's coming from. I don't know what they do with Font. He stepped up to kind of keep this card intact, so they might give him a slightly more winnable fight, but... Once again... The UFC's reaction to these kinds of fights, especially in main events and whatnot, is usually not great. So We'll have to wait and see. I imagine it'll be a bit before we see either of them. Probably Sandhagen longer between injury and them gonna trying to find some way to screw him. So but That was your main event. A bit of a letdown, but the, uh, the MMA gods will do that to us. Right, Co-main event, Tatiana Suarez defeats Jessica Andrade via guillotine choke, 131 of the second. Pretty one-sided affair, not terribly surprising. Suarez, a very big strawweight. She kept Andrade off of her with either jabs or front kicks. Got takedowns, because of course she did, she's a dominant wrestler. Hit a nice guillotine in the second, really interesting kind of guillotine from her. She almost goes for arm in first. Doesn't quite get it, but has the arm around the neck deep enough and tight enough to warrant maintaining the position, so she lets go with her other hand, slowly brings it around, gets an S-grip together. And that's not the ideal grip for finishing a guillotine choke. Like, S-grip is... I'm not saying you can't. There's a bunch of people, especially if they have like wrist issues, that will go for that. Because normally the way you do it is it ain't great on the wrists. But it's not really the ideal grip. And it's what gets Andrade to tap because however tight the rest of that, that the other choke, there, like the one-armed version, not arm in, but like just when she had one arm going, must have been tight because just the leverage of like fingertips getting together and whatnot was enough to really, was enough to close out the last little bit and force the tap. Suarez is coming for that belt, man, and I wouldn't bet against her. Andrade, eh. She just, I talked about this a little bit before. 
she's not the oldest fighter in the world. She's only 31. Golly, she's younger than I am. But 36 fights. The vast majority of those in the UFC, I mentioned, she's been in the UFC over 10 years at this point. Her debut was July of 13. Like 10 years in the UFC, 36 overall fights. That's just... You just get worn down at that point. So, I don't know how much longer we're going to have her around, is my hunch there. I don't know that Suarez gets the next title shot. We've got a couple of things at play here. One, we do have to wait and see how Zhang and Amanda Lemos plays out, which is itself a somewhat random matchup. Kind of thrown together. Um because the UFC has a schedule to keep, and rather than save Zhang for fighting Yan Xiaonan, potentially in China, which would be quasi-historic, would be the first would be the first all-Chinese UFC title fight, all-Chinese fighters. And they could put that on, you know, uh, Shanghai, or where is it they go in China, usually? I mean, usually it's a bit of a stretch. They don't... Um, so what do we have? Last one was 19. They went to um, Senjin. I'm mispronouncing that, I know, but bear with me. They did one in Beijing. Oh, yeah, they did Blades and Nganu, too, in Beijing. Um, they did, yeah, so Shanghai, Beijing. Beijing would be a bit of a stretch at this point, but Shanghai's viable. Um, Senjin might probably be China uh, possible. Macau was, I think, their first one. So, Macau definitely... Yeah, I think Macau is where they've been more, yeah. They've been to Macau a fair bit, but... Point being, there's options there for them to take that fight to a Chinese market. And... Instead, we're getting her in Lemos because they want a title fight back up for their Boston card. And it's just, again, kind of just tossed together. But Yan... Yan Xiaonan is definitely a worthy contender... And if Zhang beats Lemos, and that's not a given, by the way, I favor her to do so, but that is not a given. They, I do imagine they'd try to make that happen. They'd try to get Zhang and Yan together for a China card, which would mean that Suarez would need another fight and probably another win, but she's just... She would have been champion already if not for some of the injuries she's been dealing with. Like that's how good Tatiana Suarez is. So she's coming for that belt. Whether she gets it or not, my hunch is yes. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and declare it's inevitable. Like there's no way she she fails to wear the belt. She might get hurt again. You know, there's there's things that could happen, but. I tend to think, barring some kind of catastrophic injury or whatnot, she's probably going to be champion at some point. Uh, light heavyweight, we had a bit of an upset here. Um, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I, I believe I called this one. I, I mean, look, some of these I got right. I think I'm... How did I call this one when it was all said and done? I don't know. I don't keep track as much as well as I should. For a guy who picks every fight every week, you'd think I keep better track, but I don't. Um, this one I did get right. Um, 
Yeah, Dustin Jacoby defeats Kennedy Zuchukwu. Uh, 122 of the first. A lot of pressure from, pressure from Zuchukwu. Jacoby just... There's a lot of value in punching with somebody or immediately after them, especially if you're opposite stances. So, Zuchukwu lands a bit of a left. He's fighting southpaw. Jacoby, just as soon as that punch kind of lands, he fires a right hand. If you don't bring your hand, if you don't bring that weapon back, if you don't throw the punch and bring it right back to the defensive position, um, you'll get cracked as a consequence. And that's exactly what happened here. Jacoby caught him clean, dropped him, jumped on top. Zuchukwu wasn't thrilled with the stoppage, and I can understand the argument there a little bit. Um, I was okay with it. I mean, that said, like, I was okay with the stoppage. Um, solid win for Jacoby. He kind of needed it. He said after this he'd like to fight up instead of down. He's been fighting down a bit, and he lost some fights, so it's not like it wasn't warranted. He waited until, you know, he got a win, but I wouldn't hate him fighting somebody ranked above him. He was number 15 coming into this, so someone between, like, 10, like 10 through 13. Give him a shot at a guy ranked above him next. I I don't hate that. Uh, he's been a pretty good soldier for the UFC. So tough setback for Zuchukwu. Uh But this is one of those things, guys. And professionals do this all the time. So when I sit here and say you got to bring the weapon back to the chamber, everybody knows it. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It's just kind of how things go. If you want to know why you're told, bring it back. This is an example of why. And look, you can find a million examples of guys not doing it and not getting punished for it or whatnot. I, I get it. And I get that everyone fights differently. And I'm not saying everyone needs to be a robot out there. I am saying that's one of those kind of fundamental truths and ways of doing things that you got to be very careful about when you break that rule. You better have a very good reason. Other than you don't feel like it. And Zuchukwu just didn't quite keep up what he should have done mechanically there, technically, and he paid. He's... Zuchukwu's a guy I haven't really got a handle on. He's won some fights I thought he should have lost, and he's lost a few fights I thought he was going to win. I don't have a good read on him yet. Let's see, featherweight Diego Lopez. I mispronounced this earlier. I apologize. It's not, because um, I know he's Brazilian, but I couldn't remember if that was pronounced Lopes or Lopez. So Lopez, my, my mistake. He submits Gavin Tucker with a nasty triangle armbar, 138 of the first. Little bit of feeling out. Um, Tucker looked a touch slow. Then he shoots it. He goes in for a takedown. Lopez counters the flying triangle. Kind of gets the triangle position, fights for that. Sort of gets it. Some defense from Tucker. Lopez adjusts to the arm bar, cranks it. The arm does not bend that way, rolls through the mount with it. Tucker taps. Nice, Some nice work from Lopez. Lopez gave Movsarevloyev a tough fight on short notice. What that man can do with, you know, full camps and whatnot um, makes you wonder if he shouldn't have been in the UFC sooner is all. Tough break for Tucker, who has looked pretty good on occasion, but inactivity has kind of killed him. Um, well, how much do I want to say? Yeah, I got to say that. 
I do. Um, so after he got beat by Ricky Glenn, and that was a beat. Like, he got the crap kicked out of him by Glenn. They should have stopped it. That had a 10-7 in it. But that was uh, September of 2017. So he takes time off, doesn't come back until 2019. And, dude, do you take a beating that bad? I'm okay with that. And he had a, like, broken jaw, too, so there was stuff. But he only fights once in 18. He fights twice in 2020. Um, but both end of the year, August and December. Then he gets knocked out by Dan Ige in 22 seconds. That's March of 21. Doesn't fight again until August of 23. Like, this dude's technically been in the UFC again since 2017. So that's, hang on, one, two, three, four, five, six. That's only seven fights in about seven years. Because he missed all, you know, he missed all of 18. Only had the one fight in 19. He's, it's been an issue. That's just kind of been an issue for him. Um, very good performance out of Lopez. Uh, definitely going to be keeping an eye on him. Light heavyweight Tanner Bozier defeated Alexa Kamer via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Didn't quite agree with 30-27. I might have given Kamer the the um, was it the third? I don't know. This was a like this fight was a crappy light heavyweight fight. A lot of clinching, some decent enough kind of dirty boxing and whatnot in the clinch, but. Um, people will remember the big kind of haymaker exchanges or the times when Cameron just took like four or five punches to the head and kept coming. Fair enough, but this was, this was to me a worse fight than Sandhagen and Font. But Bozer needed the win. Lightweight upset here. Uh, got this one wrong in my prediction. I think I've had the rest of these right, but I was wrong here. Ludovic Klein defeated Ignacio Bahamundes. 229-28 to 30-27, unanimous decision for Klein. Really good performance from him. He was great about stopping the kicks of Bahamundes. He would he would stay close enough to kind of induce them in the first round, and then any time he had a read on he had a read on something about him because any time Bahamundes tried to throw one, stepped in punches, just smothered the kicks, land counters, dissuade him. Got takedowns, pretty good top control, decent ground and pound. Repeat that for the first couple of rounds. I gave Bahamundes the third. I thought Klein kind of took that one off. I don't mean that he ran away the whole time, but he knew he was up two rounds and just didn't want to do anything stupid, and I get that. Good win from Klein. I'm not here to kill Bahamundes for this one. His takedown defense is still a little worrying, and that's something he's got to work on. He's a long dude for that division, though. It, it just kind of feels like a lot of his defense in that respect is, I will intercept you with a knee, or I've got a long guard, let me play triangles and whatnot. And that'll work for a while. It won't work consistently at the UFC level. So there's some stuff he's got to iron out there. But apparently there were some, guy, there were some people out there like trying to kill him for some of how he performed here, and I think that's very unfair. Uh, that was the main card. As for the prelims, Kyler Phillips defeats Hani Barcelos via unanimous decision at 30-27 and 229-28. Again, not sure on the 30-27. Um, Phillips felt like he took the, the last round off. But he fought well for the first two rounds, and he didn't even fight poorly in the third. I just didn't think he won it. Uh, a lot of movement, counter punches. 
Barcelos just never quite got a read on what Phillips was doing. Phillips dropped him in the first, I think it was. Um, Phillips has been a guy, another guy, played kind of by inactivity, and he's got ability, but he's got to stay healthy and consistent. Barcelos, uh, dude was one of the better bantamweights for a while, but Father Time caught up with him in a bad way, and he is, he's not shot, but he's not what he used to be. Welterweight Carlston Harris defeated Jeremiah Wells. This was hilarious. Via technical submission, an anaconda choke, 150 of the third. Why was this hilarious? I don't know that... I don't think um, Harris landed double-digit strikes between the first two rounds. Wells was all over him, just exploding through distance, takedowns, control, smother, control, smother. Like, Harris, Harris needed a finish in the last round, badly. And he had had no meaningful offense. Like, he might have landed a few things here and there. You know, he might have landed a couple of leg kicks, maybe a jab or two, but nothing of consequence. He wall walks off of a takedown, gets to a front headlock, grabs the anaconda choke, sinks with it. It's a little bit off, but part of what you do... So, part of how you finish the anaconda choke... I, there's a, people do this wrong. There's a lot of people who just, if you look at, um, what's a good example of this? So the way people tend to visualize this going is a bit more like um, Big Nog and Heath Herring in their second fight. Or there's a couple other examples where you're kind of splayed out. And you squeeze it down. And I'm not saying you can't finish it that way. The better way to do it, especially once you've kind of gator rolled with it, the better way to do that is after your roll to walk your hips closer to their hips. Because ideally their head is in your like chest and or upper abdomen or like upper stomach, right? And when their chest is there, you've got a good grip but you need to compress things further. You compress them by pushing your hips closer together because that folds the neck down. And Wells was not in the best spot just from the grip, but it wasn't until Harris gets again. He gets kind of the roll. They're locked up. And Jeremiah Wells has some giant shoulders and traps, so like, that's not helping him here. But once Harris kind of walks his hips closer, that's what really clamps things down, and that's what gets him to pass out. So some minor finishing details, and look, anybody, you can find some of this stuff on YouTube, like how to finish anacondas. They'll tell you, you know, you walk your hips in, you compress things, because that really gets some more power behind it. And there's a lot of guys who just do it with the arms, and that's not a, that's not a great way to finish that joke. Harris, heck of a comeback. Like, he was down bad. You could make arguments for 10-8s in both of the first two rounds. Um, yeah, hats off to him. Not a lot of guys... Some guys would have been broken mentally going into the third round there. He gutted that out. Uh, featherweight, Billy Quarantillo defeats Damon Jackson via unanimous decision. 29-28s across the board. Good first round for Jackson, but... Couldn't get him away, and if you can't put Billy Quarantillo away, he just, he keeps coming, man. Quarantillo wins the second and third. I kind of thought this would have been fight of the night. Um, there was no fight of the night awarded. These guys might have got the short end of the stick there, if I'm being honest. I thought this was a really good fight. 
Flyweight. Um, I'm sorry. Quarantello was like, there's just no defense. Like, neither of these guys have defense. The first round, they're just kind of punching each other in the face repeatedly before Jackson starts getting takedowns. Um, th- that's kind of a problem that's got to be addressed. So I would have given these two fight of the night. This was a fun little fight. Uh, flyweight, Cody Durden defeated Jake Hadley via unanimous decision. Hadley, excuse me. Um, 30-27 across the boards, just better wrestling. I don't agree with 30-27. I gave Hadley the second. He had a nasty armbar locked in for a while that Durden really had to work to get out of. Um, yeah, I thought Hadley should have the second, but I did. I do agree that Durden won. Again, better wrestling. Um, good ground and pound, you know, decent enough little fight, but good win for Durden. Uh, I mentioned already Dennis Bazooksha, uh, who missed weight, 146.5, to Woodson, who made weight at 146. Woodson wins via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, I give Bazooksha, uh, Bazooka credit. He came in on short notice and fought a tough guy, and he had a rough go of it, but he never quit. Some interesting decision-making from Woodson. He had Bazooka hurt a few times. And if I, if I start calling the guy Bazooka, I'm just going to keep doing it. So I apologize to him if I'm doing... This crowd, man. Okay, so they were in Nashville. So for this fight in particular, there was a big USA chant. This isn't quite as dumb as... If you'll, this, there was a USA chant that broke out at a pro wrestling event. Uh, WWE won. I want to say it was a tag team match between, was it La Resistance and then like William Regal and Tajiri? So it was like two French Canadians, a Japanese guy, and a Brit. And because, because La Resistance was doing the kind of like Boo America thing, they were getting, you know, heat that way and fair play to you, whatever. But the crowd chanting for a country that doesn't actually have a representative in the match was kind of funny. Here they're chanting USA at two American fighters. I don't mind you supporting the country. Okay, just for the record. I... I do. And I don't even hate you chanting it in certain cases to show your support for a particular fighter. It was just an odd time to break that one out, guys. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. Um, Good win for Woods. He wanted to show off a bit more of his roundedness, which I don't think was the best idea because he went for takedowns after hurting Bazooka and, I don't know, just some slightly odd decision-making, but he got a good... He got a win. He's just... He's a guy that I think gets avoided. He's got issues. He's not unbeatable, but he's a tough. He's just kind of a tough out, and you, there's not a lot of upside to him yet to beating him. Um, but good win here, and I do hope he gets a bigger fight next. And kicking everything off, um, Asuamabayev defeated Ode Osborne via rear naked choke, 3:11 of the second. Look at the finish of this one. Let this be a lesson to you about the proper mechanics of the arm grip for a rear naked choke. The arm of Amabayev was not under the chin when it was around the neck. It was actually kind of over the lower portion of the jaw. 
you don't need to be completely around the neck and under the chin to finish that choke if your leverage arm can get into the right position. He'd had a near choke earlier, but uh, he couldn't have, he had his right arm around the neck, so his left arm is kind of the leverage arm. You have the choke arm and the leverage arm, at least that's how I refer to it. He couldn't get the leverage arm into the right position, so Osborne was stripping it. This time when he finished it, he got the right arm around, got the left arm behind the head. Even if that choke is not under the chin and around the neck, if you can get that your leverage hand behind the head so they can't deal with it, you can leverage that forward as you roll the choking arm back, your, that shoulder goes back. If it's across the jaw like that, it'll like you can pull the jaw back enough that it compresses the carotid arteries too. To say nothing of just how painful it is. You can still get that choke that way. Uh, but you gotta you gotta have the proper leverage with your leverage hand. Or you can kinda short choke it. That's a little bit harder. Um, but so the point there is like proper leverage and proper mechanical locking on your chokes with your arms will make up for some application deficiencies. Um, good one for Almabayev. Yeah. So that was it. That was your card. <sighs> I mentioned already there was no fight of the night. The UFC was... When Dana gets pissy about this stuff, he will ignore good fights that go the distance in favor of... You all got finishes. Have money. A reminder to all the fighters out there. They can afford to do this every time they choose not to. So basically, if you got a finish, you got a bonus. So, Amabayev got a bonus, Harris got a bonus, Lopez got a bonus, Jacoby got a bonus, and Suarez got a bonus. Um, I'm not mad at those guys for getting paid more. I just, I've mentioned before, if the UFC wants to properly incentivize this, keep your fight of the night bonus, because that should be more discretionary, but just have a finish bonus for everyone. That will incentivize this more than kind of what you've got. And it might look less stupid to have every fighter out there on ESPN on a card that, you know, you got paid a boatload of money for and had a good gate of like over $2 million saying, hey, I'd like $50,000. Um, my life sucks. And that would help. Just, yeah, they won't do it because there's no incentive for them to do so. They don't see the incentive for them to do so. I should rephrase that. But here we are. Anyway, my full report is up in the MMA zone of 411mania.com, so go give that a read. If you're so inclined, I always appreciate it. All right, um, let's move on to Jake Paul and Nate Diaz again. If you want to skip this, I understand, but it happened. It will draw a little bit of traffic, and I do actually have thoughts about this. I am not, I don't have an editor in this respect. I don't have a producer. I don't have somebody saying, hey, talk about Jake Paul and Nate Diaz. I'm choosing to because in the aftermath of this, I do actually have a few things to say. So, As for the fight itself, Jake Paul defeats Nate Diaz, unanimous decision, didn't agree with the scorecards. Not that I thought, not that I thought Diaz won, but there was one, I think there was one scorecard that only gave Diaz one round, which I think is, you know, a little bit phoned in. Um, you could, so how did this go? Diaz, I don't want to say he looked terrible at the weight, but you can see that 185 is like not where his ideal performance weight. 
Paul was the bigger puncher. No surprise. So Paul goes a little bit nuts. He kind of wobbles Diaz in the first and goes after him. Doesn't get him. But like I saw people making an argument for 10-8 Paul in the first, and I didn't, but it's there. Like That's not a crazy score. Paul wins rounds two and three. Four, Diaz comes back a little bit. Then in five, Jake Paul drops Nate Diaz with a left hook. Diaz gets up, but that's a 10-8 round, guaranteed, even if you didn't go for the first one. Six is another Paul round. Seven, I think Diaz finally kind of comes back. I might have given him seven. So... Yeah, I gave Diaz 7. I was only like half scoring this when I'm watching it because I wasn't that interested. Uh, I wasn't that interested in the minutia of scoring round by round as much as I was interested in... How do I phrase this? Well, let me save it for after the fight because I'll explain my thought process here in a minute. Um, 8 could have gone either way. It was a bit of a swing. Eight could, if you gave round 8 to Nate Diaz, I don't... I don't hate it. 9 and 10, I gave both to Paul. 9 being a little more competitive than 8, I think. But ultimately, Paul, the rightful winner, and I don't think it was that close. So my takeaways from this are as follows. Um, Let me talk about Jake Paul first. Like... So, same night, so also last night, this took place earlier in the evening, and actually Logan, um, so Logan Paul was at um, the WWE pay-per-view last night. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about this, but let me give context to what I'm about to say, please. So Logan Paul's been doing the pro wrestling thing, and he's good at it. He is eminently hateable as a personality. He exudes that whenever in his screen presence there's a lot of hateable people who don't have presence or you know charisma or anything like that he's got it he's very hateable he's not afraid of big crowds and big spots and he's very athletically gifted and that that's kind of the ideal combination for professional wrestling you have a you have the ability to have a personality that comes off the screen and will resonate with a giant crowd. Like you have to be able to what you do, what you say, and who you are has to reach the the nosebleeds in pro wrestling. And Paul's presentation does. Logan's. I'm just, I'm gonna go by the first name for the sake of ease. And Logan's presentation does. He was in the opening match for SummerSlam. He and Ricochet had a pretty good match. And again, Logan is very good at pro wrestling. People don't want to say that because they don't like him. And fair enough, I'm not, I am not here to, many times I've said this, I am not here to advocate for Logan Paul or Jake Paul as human beings. But Logan is a very good professional wrestler. But they were in the opener, the curtain jerker. And it was a good choice for the opener. It was a hot opener. It's, you know, athletic, it's spot-filled, it'll get the crowd going. That's the kind of match you want there in that spot. 
The other reason, Logan requested that he be in the first match because so he could leave immediately, get on a plane. They were in Detroit. He flew to Dallas to then be in his brother's to be present for Jake versus Nate when they hit the ring. And he was. Um, so kudos to... Look, man, kudos to Logan for that. He could have been... You could have had a ready-built excuse about why you couldn't do that. He went out of his way to support his brother's endeavor. And... I Look, he might not be my favorite person in the world. But... Fair enough. And... WWE accommodated that. They're willing... They've become more accommodating over the last, like, handful of years about stuff like this. They try to keep spouses together on the same, like, road trip schedules and on the same shows. And... I think... Otherwise, they might have opened the show with Cody and Brock. But... You know, that went on second, so... Second or third? I'd have to double-check, but anyway, who cares? I'm not here to talk about pro wrestling. Here to say... The pro wrestling crowd is once again in that position of doing, I don't like Logan Paul, but dot, dot, dot. Because Logan takes pro... The character doesn't, but Logan takes pro wrestling seriously. He wouldn't be in the spots that he's in if he didn't take it seriously. Ditto someone like Bad Bunny. That guy takes that seriously, man. He wouldn't be working full-length matches, even with all the smoke and mirrors, if he didn't take it seriously and didn't take his training seriously. Logan takes it seriously. You don't have to like him. He's good at pro wrestling. You don't have to like Jake. When I say he's a pretty good boxer, I'm not talking about the world-class level of boxing. I'm saying if you think he's a goof or a total amateur, you're very mistaken. Jake very clearly takes this seriously. And you may not like it because you don't like him. Fair enough. But let's have a sober assessment of these things, shall we? He got a slightly... Di- he hooked up with um, one of the more notable strength and conditioning guys in boxing. He was much more... Jake was much more in shape here um, than he was when he fought Tommy Fury. He struggled a bit with Fury down the stretch. He uh, Here, you know, the Diaz camp wanted this to be 10 rounds instead of 8. They pushed forward thinking they'd have the advantage down the stretch. Turns out not quite so much. Um, but... Jake was there for all 10 rounds. Jake had a decent punch count for the fight. Not great, but I'm not comparing... I'm not comparing either of these guys to legitimate world-class boxers, because neither of them is. But if we look at the... Dude, if you want to look at the stats, like Jake Paul threw more punches than Nate Diaz. Landed more, too, but he threw more. He was the busier fighter. He was the more accurate fighter. He was the more active fighter. He was the more impactful fighter. He was the one actually boxing. You don't have to like the guy. But I'm here to make give as sober and fair an assessment of the, him and his skills as I can. He looked better here than he did against Tommy Fury, partially because Nate Diaz is a worse boxer than Tommy Fury. And I know I just pissed off the Diaz contingent. 
Listen to me carefully. I did not say that Tommy Fury is a better fighter than Nate Diaz. He's a better boxer. I'm going to piss off the Diaz contingent a lot in the next couple of minutes, so please bear with me and please believe that I'm operating in good faith here. I am not trolling you guys. So, Jake looked to have fixed some of his cardio issues. He slowed a bit down the stretch, but it's not... Even very, very good guys will kind of... If your output is better in, like, rounds 10... Like 9, 10, 11, and 12, then rounds like 3, 4, and 5. Usually you take off 1 and 2. That's very rare. Most people don't do that because boxing is physically demanding. It, you, so him slowing a little bit as time went on, okay. It's a, fit, it's a fatiguing activity he's involved in. He didn't gas out at all. So there's that. His punch selection was a little better. There's still some tactical decision-making from him that I don't love. But he's got good power. He was finding better delivery. Other thing about Jake. Um, yeah, it's largely the tactics. He was throwing a pretty good right to the body at times. And he kind of got away from it. Like, hurting Nate Diaz is not... It's not the hardest thing in the world because he gets hit so often. Part of what he does, though, is when you've got Nate hurt, you start headhunting, and that's not the way to finish him. Uh, one of the commentators mentioned, and boy, the commentary for this was rough, by the way, but one of them brought up a good point. Like, Nate's been fighting forever. If you're a real fighter like that, if you can see the blow coming, it's probably not going to end you. Dude, Nate's eating full-blown head kicks. Like, Josh Thompson had to kick him in the head multiple times to get him to drop. First couple that he landed, Nate just ate him. Kept coming forward. You do kind of have to surprise him with something he can't see to really get him there. Here's the other thing about Nate Diaz. He doesn't like body work. He never has. He's never... It's weird to say, like, nobody likes getting hit to the body, but... It's messed with him more than once throughout his career. And I thought Jake might have had a better avenue there if he'd invested in that a little bit more consistently. And he got away from it once he hurt Diaz a couple of times. He started headhunting a bit too much, for my taste. So there was that. But he made good decisions. He moved well. Like, far better footwork, far better ring craft. He was the better boxer, and he won. Um... I don't know what he does next. There's still... Because Jake has taken this seriously and worked to improve his skills, there's still kind of a market for what he does. Frankly, I thought he beat Tommy Fury. I scored that for... I scored that one for Jake. I don't think it's... I don't think giving it to Tommy Fury was the worst thing in the world. I just kind of thought Jake won. Um... So, I don't know if they're going to try and do that for a rematch. I don't know if he's going to try and get another old MMA guy. I don't know. I don't know if he tries to fight Nick. Now that he's beaten Nate, does he fight Nick? 
Nick is probably a tougher fight for him than Nate. Nate... I don't... That said, man, he might beat Nick, too. Like, it's impossible to know for sure, but... Nick's, like, phone booth infighting is better than Nate's, and always has been. That's more where he does work. Nate, a little bit more, like, all the way out where he can kind of snipe you at distance and then clinch fighting. Like, Nate's actually got a decent clinch game, believe it or not, if you look at his MMA career. Um, boxing was never his strong suit. It was a bit more Nick's, but even then, like, okay, here's my thing that'll piss off the Diaz, the Diaz contingent again. Neither of those guys are good boxers. And I know you just lost your minds, but hear me out, please. Boxing isn't punching. Punching is done with the hands. Boxing is done with the feet. Neither Nick nor Nate were good boxers. What they did stylistically worked okay in MMA for a couple of reasons. One, smaller gloves. That helped their style a lot. And you saw that here. Like, I'm not saying Nate never landed on Jake, but the bigger gloves limited his ability to land effectively and would do even more so against someone better defensively than Jake. Their durability and their willingness to fight at a pace that most MMA fighters are not. That's largely what won them fights. That's somewhat... That's not to diminish other skills they have, but if you look at, like, tactically, how did they apply what they could do, what won them fights, that's what did it. Insane durability. A pace that a lot of other, that most other people couldn't sustain. And, you know, the, the mix of Somehow they went about their jujitsu grappling, mostly transitional, or like... Nate in particular was better about catching things in transition than setting them up. Which is not a knock, that's just a stylistic choice. Uh, and then, yeah, just like being willing to fight, eat punches, have good durability. Uh, Nick did better body work. Nick, Nick in the pocket was kind of a problem. But if you look at how, like, the mechanics of their punches that even weren't all that great, the little gloves helped a lot. And bigger gloves render a lot of what they do less effective. Not ineffective, but less. Um, Nate just kind of meandered around the ring. He got his moral victory in the following way in the 10th round. Um... He grabs a guillotine choke. Like, they're kind of in a boxing clinch, and Nate just grabs a guillotine. He doesn't, like, he puts it on enough for everyone to know that that's what he's got, but then he lets it go. And like, hey, hey, I had you. Okay. Um, but his, like, for guys who are always like, yeah, our boxing's really good. No, it's not, and it never has been. A, leg a legitimate international class boxer would massacre Nate. Say nothing of legitimately war like you take a genuine world class guy at what's Nate what would Nate be he would like one seventies probably through her boxing. Like imagine him against Canelo. Like do you know how badly that goes? 
I know Canelo's like one of the better guys in the world, so maybe that's unfair, but one of the Charlos. How about we do that? One of the Charlo brothers. Um, Caleb Plant. David Benavidez. Dude, David Benavidez would murder him. Murder! And... Yeah, it, that's just never been their strong suit. What, what they do passes for boxing if you're an MMA fan and you don't know what boxing is. And before anyone brings up Richard Perez, I'm going to refer to something that um, a good friend of mine, an occasional uh, contributor to the show, Pat Mullen, said about Richard Perez a long time ago. If Perez were really a good boxing trainer, you could name good boxers who had trained with him. And I don't think you can. And I don't think that's wrong. So, the other thing about after the fight, like, Nate's kind of, or Jake's thrown out, how about we do a rematch in MMA? We can do it in the PFL, which is apparently one of the big suitors for Bellator at the moment. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. They might, I think, I don't know what Jake Paul in MMA even looks like. I know what his boxing looks like at this point, like, and he can get better. So when I say I know what it looks like, I don't mean to say that I have him all figured out and he's reached the highest that he's going to achieve. That's not what I mean. I mean, I know what he looks like. I know what some of his strengths are. I know what some of his weaknesses are. I know what it looks like. And he can refine that, and he can change little things, but at this point, you you kind of got a handle on the guy. I don't know what he would even look like in MMA. I don't know what his kicking game would look like. I don't know what his wrestling game would look like. I know he and Logan did some wrestling in Ohio when they were younger. So it's not like it's nothing. But... I, I just, I don't know what it looks like. My hunch would be to favor Nate in that situation, just straight up. Nate's not a boxer. He's never been a boxer. He is a pretty darn good MMA fighter, and much like his brother, they're good MMA fighters who just object to some of the rules of MMA <laughs> more than anything else. That was their, like, if you look at some of their complaints about, like, that's the issue. Like, man, I, mean, I hated him taking me down. Well, you could stop him from taking you down. No, he should just stand up and fight me. Why? Well, because I said so. No, that's not how this works. Not how any of it works. But this is, that is the arena in which their skills are actually best served. Because... So, if they had a rematch in MMA, I imagine Nate would win, and Nate would probably finish him. My hunch. But I don't know that we'll do that. So, that's all still up in the air, but... Yeah, those are... It happened, and... Given that Jake looked to have significantly improved over his last fight, I thought that deserved merit. If you're sitting here going, why are you still talking about this? I'm about to move on. And yeah, I just, that's where we are. So that's probably too much time dedicated to that topic. But let's move on and let's talk about the upcoming UFC event, shall we? So UFC on ESPN 51. Uh, they're back at the Apex, Saturday the 12th. Uh, prelims start at 2, two my time, 4 p.m. Eastern. So, main event, 
Welterweights, Rafael Dos Anjos and Vicente Luque. This is not a bad fight. It just feels a little meaningless. If I can be on, how many fights are on this card? Hang on. Here's my other thing I have to do these days. Count them. So, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay, only 13. I hate to say only 13. 12 is ideal. 12 is the magic number. 13 you can get away with. Any more than that, and we're in bad territory. Um, so Rafael Dos Anjos is one of those, like, I've likened him before to... I tend to bring up Ezard Charles, not because their styles are similar, but because... Um... Because Ezard Charles is one of the best boxers ever, and he's forgotten constantly. It's a little bit with what's go, what happens with RDA. One of the best fighters in the sport. His history is good. Includes winning the belt at lightweight, defending it. Uh, he just gets forgotten for reasons that are not entirely clear. He's a little bit He's a little bit near the end of his career. The dude's... Look. And I don't blame him for that. One, he's 38. He's actually older than I am. He's had 46 fights. And how long has this man been in the UFC? Since 2008. So, you know... Casual, what? 15 years? Yeah, just casual 15-year run in the UFC. For over 40 total fights. By the way, all that includes a very exceptional run at lightweight, where he started. Includes a big stretch where he was... Like, Let me look at this. So his winning his streak up to and including his title win and then loss goes as follows. So he drops a split decision to Glayson Tebow. He could have won that. Beats Kamal Shalarus, beats Anthony Njikwani, beats Mark Bocek, beats Evan Dunham, beats Donald Cerrone, loses to Khabib Nurmagomedov, stops Jason High, stops Benson Henderson, beats the crap out of Nate Diaz. That was a lopsided affair. Beats Anthony Pettis to win the belt. That was an upset. Defends it by stopping Donald Cerrone in the first round. That stretch, that is a remarkable stretch for lightweight for the, that was 2012 to 2015. That three-year stretch, man. Like, the only guy to beat him in that stretch was Khabib. And he beat some very good guys. Loses the belt, loses to Tony Ferguson, goes up to welterweight. Like, he's bounced a little bit around since then, but, dude, even his welterweight campaign... He beats Tarek Safadine. He runs over Neil Magny. He beats Robbie freaking Lawler. Then loses to Colby Covington. Loses to Kamaru Usman. So, you know. The guy who would the guy who went on to become champion. And guy who is still very near the title picture. Beats Kevin Lee. Loses to Leon Edwards, current champion. The loss to Chiesa was kind of a rough one. Beats Paul Felder if he goes back to welterweight. Or, excuse me, back to lightweight. Beats the dog snot out of Hanato Moicano. 
Um, loses to Fazeev. Dude, Fazeev in the fifth round stopped him. It's a pretty good fight. Moves back up to welterweight and beats Brian Barbarina, who's now, like, moonlighting between, uh, like, middleweight. This dude is an all-timer, and he just gets forgotten, and it's a shame. I kind of like his chances here. So there was a time period when I was very high on Vicente Luque. For a while, his UFC run was like, okay, lost to Michael Graves in his debut and kind of a weird one. Won a bunch in a row, lost to Leon Edwards. Won a bunch of fights in a row, lost to Stephen Thompson. Won another bunch of fights in a row. He finished four guys in a row, then lost to Bilal Muhammad, then got stopped by Jeff Neal. It's a shame he never got... I think that guy got avoided a lot, and it's a crime. Him and Santiago Ponzinibbio had these stretches where they were winning fights, but it felt like nobody at the top actually wanted to fight them, so they kind of waited them out until somebody coming up got the better of them. That's not quite true with Luke because again, we're looking at you know losses to only Edwards, Thompson, Muhammad, and Neil, who are all very good guys, but feels like he should have fought higher than he did. <sighs> Over five rounds, yeah, I like Dos Anjos' chances here. Um, Luque's a big, he'll be bigger. He's dangerous, but Dos Anjos is tough. Not exactly, uh, you know, fighting him is not exactly easy work either. He pushes a good pace. If he remembers to be the pressure fighter, that'll help him a lot. He's better on the front foot. If this were only three rounds, I would actually I might go with Luke, believe it or not. But over five, I I'll go with RDA. So that's your main event, and it goes a little bit downhill from here. So light heavyweight co-main event, never a good sign. Khalil Roundtree and Chris Dawkus. Oi. They're just trying to make something out of Roundtree, and he's won three in a row. I, he should not have won that Jacoby fight. Um most recently he won a split decision over Dustin Jacoby. I'd, I think he won the... I actually don't remember. So I, I should retract that previous one. I'm not sure how I remember that one. Um, Dawkus. Cutting down for the first time after a career at heavyweight. He lost three in a row at heavyweight. Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, and then Jarzinho Rosenstroik. Uh, that's a rough stretch, man. I mean, for a guy who burst onto the scene and was, you know, maybe the next big thing at one of the next, like, up-and-coming heavyweights. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and pick him here, because Roundtree's a little chinny, but... He's in kind of a must-win spot. Uh, Strawweight, Poliana Viana and Yasmin Lucindo. I think this is Viana. Yeah, I'll go with Viana, but eh. again, this is one of those that could go either way. Heavyweights. Oh, God, this sucks. Uh, Josh Parisian and Martin Boudet. <sighs> Let me check Boudet, because I know he's fought in the UFC before. I just cannot for the life of me off the top of my head recall. Um, we didn't lose this fight, did we? It's listed differently here. Hang on. Okay, this is weird. Um, okay, I'm going to assume this one is not about order accurate. 
Bidet is 12 and 1. What, two wins in the UFC? I want to say. Three. Chris Barnett, Lucas Breschke, and then Jake Collier. Parisian has just kind of been around. 15 and 6. He's a tough guy, but. Two and three losses to Parker Porter, Dante Mays, and Jamal Poogs. Wins over Rookie Martinez and Alan Badeau. Yeah, going with Bidet here. Uh, let's see. Josh Fremd and Jamie Pickett at middleweight. Pickett. He's had a rough go of it, man. He's 13 and nine overall, only two and five in the UFC, currently on a three fight losing streak. He might be in winner go home territory. I mean, he lost to Bo Nickel his last time out, and there's no shame in that, but other losses to Kyle Dawkins and Dennis Tallulah. Yeah, he needs a win. I don't know that he'll get it against Fremd. Fremd, 10-4, and 1-2 in the UFC. Lost to Anthony Hernandez and Trishon Gore, then beat Cedricus Dumas. Yeah, I'll go with Fremd, but that's only because I think Pickett might be... hate to say he's shopworn already, but I don't know. I don't know that he'll deal with Fremd's wrestling offense. The prelims, we have Juliana Miller and Luana Santos. I think Miller had a disappointing UFC debut. He's 3-2, and 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Okay, so... Yeah, after she won her pointless season of The Ultimate Fighter, uh, she lost to Veronica Hardy. She did not look very good in that fight. Um, Santos is what, 5-1 and one debut? Yeah, her UFC debut. Um, I'll give Miller the benefit of the doubt here, but I don't know that she should be in the UFC even at this point. She's just not very experienced, and that's very rarely a recipe for success. To be in the UFC with like five fights, uh, that's, that's just tough. This is tough. Uh, Tafan Chukwi and AJ Dobson. Have a look here. Um, Chukwi is six and three. He's had a yeah, he's had a rough UFC run. Two and three. Uh, beat Pickett, lost to Jun Young Park, beat Mike Rodriguez, then lost to Azamat Mirzakhanov and Carlos Ulborg. Dobson's another guy who's been real up and down, though. He's 6-2, and 0-2 oh in the UFC. Jacob Malkoon, that was a tough loss. Petros losing Darman and Petrosian's a bit more understandable. Petrosian's pretty good. Um, let me go with, yeah, with Chukwe, but I ain't sure about that one. Uh, Bantamweight, J.P. Bays and Marcus McGee. I don't know that I picked J.P. Bays to win fights at this point. Um, he's 9-5. and five. His UFC record is 0-3. Bruno Silva, Montel Jackson, and Cody Durden all turned him back. Durden finished him. McGee, only 7-1. and one. He had an interesting UFC debut, as I recall. Yeah, he beat Journey Newsom. It was a pretty serious upset. Yeah, I'll go with McGee. I'll go with McGee. I said, I'm just not sure I picked Bays to win fights at this point. Oh, wait, this is a bantamweight base is moving up? Yeah, I, I'm not picking him to win this fight. <laughs> Featherweights, Francis Marshall and Isaac Dulgarian. Mm, he 
need to find this one. Where are you on my list here? There you are. So, Mr. Marshall, 7-1. and one. I think he's fought in the UFC. Yeah, he's 1-1. and one. Beat Marcelo Rojo and then lost to William Gomez. Dolgarian is making his debut for the promotion. Undefeated, 5-0. and oh. That's a tough fight to call, actually. Uh, let me lean towards Marshall. You know, the UFC experience tends to matter a little bit, but they're in the apex, so, eh. That's where I'm leaning. Uh, Strawweight again, Jacqueline Amarim and Monserrat Ruiz. Um, Ruiz is, what, one and two in the... One and one. Yeah, for a while. yeah she hasn't fought since um, Amanda Lemos starched her. Dude, that was like three years... Two years ago. It was July of 21, so yeah, two years ago. Up for a while. Did she fail a drug test or something? She might have, huh? Amarim is 6-1. and one. Lost her UFC debut to Sam Hughes. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it sh I should pick Ruiz here, but that layoff's troubling. Yeah, let me go with Hammer and why not? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Featherweight, Cub Swanson and Hakeem Dawadu. Not a bad fight, actually. I expect Hakeem Dawadu to wrestle a lot. Because that's what he does these days. He mean mugs and then shoots the double. Uh, he's 6-3 and three overall in the UFC, but... Oh, man. I mean, lost to Lude lost to Mostar of Loy. I have no shame there. The loss to Julian Arosa was it was about a year ago. I don't know. Swanson's just so he's been around forever, man. It's Cub Swanson. Whatever. I... <laughs> I don't have anything to say about the guy. He lost to Jonathan Martinez. That was tough. Um. Beat Darren Elkins before that, though. Uh, he's actually three. He's three and two in his last five, which isn't the worst. I mean, how do you feel about Dawadu? Logically, this is Dawadu, but we're at featherweight. Swanson moving back up. Ah, screw it. I'll pick Swanson. So it's a more emotional pick than anything, because you know it's Cub Swanson. I love the guy. Probably very wrong, and Dawadu, like, starches him, but, eh, what are you going to do? And, uh, lastly, Damon Blackshear and Brady Heastand. How do we feel about this one, everybody? Um, where, did we lose this? Yeah, it looks like we lost this. Um, he stand had a fa had a staff infection, so no word on if they'll keep Blackshear on the card yet or not. Okay. I'm going to assume. I'm looking at like two different things, so I'm going to assume the this one is more accurate. All right. Uh, so let me leave that one off for the moment, and we'll just uh, if it if I'm wrong and it goes through, hang on. If it does go through, where do I lean? I might lean towards he stand. He's got a. 
Again, Blackshear's done okay work. I would lean towards his stand. Might be wrong about that one, but that's where I lean. Anyway, Saturday, you have 411mania.com in the MMA zone. You know where to find me. I will be covering this from start to finish. It's what I do. All right, we should be able to rapid-fire the rest of these, and we'll get out of here in a more reasonable time period than uh, the last couple of weeks. So, uh, rumor has it Israel Adesanya and Sean Strickland is all but set to main event UFC 294? The one in Sydney. I need a number. Uh, no, 294 is Makashev and Oliveira. Three, sorry. 293. Um, yeah, uh, look, man, if... If DDP is healing up some stuff and they really want Izzy on that card and Izzy really wants to be on that card, Strickland is close enough to be in the next guy up, I guess. So, yeah. That seems to be there. Not my favorite choice of fighters for the middleweight title at the moment, but, you know, you gotta work with what you got. So there's that. Izzy back in Australia should sell decently, at least, so... Okay. Uh, we lost a fight. Uh, we lost uh, Kelvin Gastelum and Shavkat Rachmanov. Gastelum caught a stray elbow in practice. Bad break of the nose. Cut. Broken. Bone slash cartilage sticking out of the cut. Fight's off. I'm not accusing Kelvin Gastelum of running from Rachmanov. Gastelum would pose some interesting problems for him, believe it or not. I still favor Rachmanov, but... Here's the thing about Gastelum. There's some weird stat about him that I think needs to kind of come to light here for just a second, so. Find it. So, since the start of 2022, Kelvin Gastelum has had eight cancel, has had four canceled fights. Eight total in his UFC. So he's had 13 total canceled fights. He's pulled out of eight of them. Four of those have happened since the start of 2022. That's a troubling trend. All right, I'm. I don't know what's going on there, but between injury, staff infection, illness, and whatnot, that's a that's not a good trend. That is just not a good trend for for Kelvin Gastelum. Um, so Rachmanov said, you know, I was willing to go into basically your backyard for that. Now, if you want to do it, you know, he wants to fight on the Abu Dhabi card. Gastelum's like, no, I want to fight in November. Who knows what's gonna how that's gonna wind up? Um, yeah, he just unfortunate. I think that was a good that was a good. It's a good test for Rachmanov to see if he shored up some of the some of the habits that Jeff Neal exploited because um, Gaslam could have done some tried to do some of those same things maybe with more devastating effect. So it would have been a good test to see that beating Kelvin Gaslam is that's a decent feather in your cap and if you're Gaslam beating Rachmanov, like no one's done that yet. I think, isn't he undefeated overall? Certainly in the UFC. Like, that would be a big feather for him. It would be like, yeah, I'm back at welterweight and I'm right near the title picture. So, don't quite know how that plays out, but that's where we are. 
Unfortunate. And lastly, in news that I have right now, um, we got announced Magomed Ankalaya versus Johnny Walker, UFC 294. One imagines that the winner of this would probably fight Alex Pereira for the vacant title, depending on how... We still don't know the exact timetable for Yuri Prochka's return. That's kind of the big one. We don't know the timetable for Jamal Hill's return. Achilles, because he, he ruptured his Achilles. That's a That can be a gnarly injury, so we'll have to wait and see how he recovers from that. But if you basically wind up with a mini tournament here with Pereira and Blahovich setting fighting the so and then um Uncle Ivan Walker and then the winners fight each other for the vacant belt. That's not the worst thing in the world, especially now that we're not getting a rematch between uh not that Blahovich and uh, dude, that fight between Blahovich and Ankalaev got unfairly crapped on. I'm not saying not the best fight of the year or anything, but there were a lot of people who just really... They really took a dump on that fight for reasons that are unclear to me. But Ankalaev and Pereira, that's a fight. Walker and Pereira, that's... That's two very different flavors of crazy, but it would be something. Or something else happens entirely, who knows? We don't know, because no one's talking about this. But here we are. So that's set. Don't hate the fight. And lean towards Ankalaev, but he's got to have fixed some stuff that came out of the that came out of the Blahovich fight. So. Alright, that's what I've got listed. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alright, let's do plugs. Um, yeah, nothing new. So... Last week, uh, a little bit of a... Last week, the double shot where I did the idol and then... Yeah. So last week, I was part of a TV party for the idol, which was my gift to Mark Radulich, and it wound up being a dud. Dud. Dud sh Like, the idol itself, giant dud. Our review, probably a little bit better. Then we talked about uh, the latest Disney movie, the, uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion, on Damn You Hollywood. So there's that. Uh, let me see. Going to listen to that. This week on Damn You Hollywood Tuesday, we're going to be moving to Monday, end of the month. So, like the next two are Tuesday, then it's Monday from there on out. So, that's a thing. Uh, this Tuesday is the Meg 2, The Trench. Which, uh, look, I would like to have a fun, schlocky movie. I don't know that I'm going to get it. Um, some of the people who I trust that have talked about this have said it doesn't really... It did not build on what made the first one kind of fun. I don't know. I'll see if I agree with that after I watch it. So That's that. Um, then my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. MLW stuff on Thursday. WWE Smackdown on Friday. And UFC event on Saturday. And we will be back here next week. Next week we will review UFC on ESPN 51. And we will preview UFC 292. They're in Boston for Sterling versus O'Malley and Zhang Wei Li versus Amanda Lemos. Hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's only a 10 fight card? Wow. Haven't had one of those in a long time. 
Um, yeah, full preview next week. How's that look? Yeah. That's not the worst. It's a little top-heavy. I, I see why they have two title fights. Because if you didn't have both... If you didn't have two title fights and... Like, imagine it was just Sterling O'Malley main event and then some, something else co-main that wasn't for the belt. If something happened to Sterling and O'Malley, this is this is not a pay-per-view quality card outside of those, so they need the redundancy there a little bit. But, okay. I, yeah, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. All right, full preview next week. Thank you all again for listening. I appreciate you. As always, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.